Welcome back to Point of Rentals, The Front Porch, a time to sit back, relax, maybe eat some cheesy crackers, drink some coffee, and get to know the pointers around you a little bit better. I'm Lauren Jewell, and let's get started. Welcome to The Front Porch with Lauren Jewell. Our guest today is a wonderfully reliable support master, king, whatever you want to call him, uh, Ryland Morgeau. Ryland, it's good to have you here. Thank you. Yeah. I'm glad to be here. Um, so why don't you start by giving a 30-second bio of who you are, um, where you're from, and what do you do here? Okay. I was originally born in a little town called Ronan, Montana, but I my family moved to California when I was really young. and. Spent most of my life in San Jose, so I grew up in Silicon Valley around tech, actually, uh-huh. most of my life. And then I uh, joined the military when I was in my 20s, and then when I was discharged, I decided to move to Texas, try to complete my degree, and uh, eventually ended up in Point of Rental, where I currently work as a software support technician. Wonderful. Um, so one a very important question to ask before we get into all of this. Are you more of a cat or a dog person? Actually, neither. I, I cur- My favorite pets have always been reptiles. Even reptiles. when I was gr- growing up, yeah. Okay. I used to have uh, green anoles and stuff all the time. And right now, I actually have a veiled chameleon that I'm taking care of right now. Really? So, I, I don't know if that says I'm cold-blooded or something, <laughs> but... No, I've I've always been a kind of like a reptile lizard person. That's very interesting. I've never met someone who's been really into reptiles mm-hmm. other than myself. So that's very cool. I never had pet ones, just mm-hmm. ones that like I would like grab from the outdoors and like make them into my home until um, my parents found out, and then they would <laughs> very quickly go back. I, out the I did the same thing. <laughs> I used to capture. We call them blue bellies and stuff all the time, and then it always freaks out my mom. Yeah, my. Mother actually was deathly afraid of snakes, so mm-hmm. regularly when I was a kid, I used to hide rubber snakes in her bed. Just to, <laughs> just to you were one of those kids. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Wow. So Native American on your mom's side, so did you grow up like in a tribe or like when I think of like American growing up, like maybe growing up in the suburbs or what on a reservation, like what does it look like for you? Well, I was, I was born in the Flathead Indian Reservation. In Northwest Montana, okay, and I was there until I was about six years old. Um, so I didn't, I didn't really get to like grow up with feral, fellow tribal members that much because, um, yeah, when I was about six, that's when my dad got a new job, and we had to move to California because mm-hmm. uh, my dad actually got a job with a defense contract agency, and um, eventually, actually, did end up uh, working with NASA too, but. Um, oh. But, yeah, it's kind of weird. I, I feel like I've gotten the best of both worlds because I remember because we would go, always go back and visit every year and spend time with family, you mm-hmm. know. So I, I'm i familiar with because the reservation is like a small town. Mm-hmm. Everybody knows everybody. Right. I would always jokingly say I could go to any store in the reservation and someone's a cousin or somehow <laughs> related to me in some way because it's one big tribe. Mm-hmm. And uh and I got to know big city life living in San Jose, California, yeah. and seeing the industry, sure. the tech boom in the '90s and everything. Because that, so is yeah, is I learned a deep love and appreciation both for 
kind of more simpler lifestyle, but while at the same time, um, you know, fast paced life, you know, in a city and everything. So. Okay. So I'm, I'm just thinking about this. Morijo doesn't sound like a Native American name. No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> um, what's, what's the connection there? So in the Flathead tribe back in 1840s, um, mm-hmm. invited a Catholic priest to actually help out with an illness and actually end up carrying the tribe with her medical mm-hmm. expertise and also, uh, you know, they, well, you know, the legend goes that, you know, the priests baptized and healed all of the natives who accepted help. And mm-hmm. so part of that, um, they built a mission and uh, they christened like half the families with like Spanish last names. Mm-hmm. And then the other half of the tribe has like French last names, so that's how I got the the name Morjo. But what's which which interesting too though is my dad's not even uh, Native American at all, but his 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 father, my grandfather, was adopted by a Native American man, and that's how we got the name Morjo. So we, we were kind of like adopted. Not just into the tribe, but also into the Morjo family too. So wow, so adopted on one side and kind of like eeny meeny miny mo on the other. Like right. I'm gonna get a Spanish or, or French name. Right. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Because my yeah my mother's maiden name is actually Santos. So okay. I got some. Yeah. <laughs> so it and that's that, that's the thing I've always loved about uh, just the history of my tribe is we were more. We weren't like the Sioux or anything where we were fighting everybody all the time. We were more definitely like traders and fishermen and tradesmen. And we were always used to combining uh, families, whether it was with another native tribe or even with, you know, white people coming from overseas. Right. So. So it's a natural transition to move into the rental industry from there. If, if you're not fighting everybody <laughs> or you're trading and, and moving stuff right. around. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure like at some point they were, probably eventually making lease agreements or something. (laughs) Um, Hold your breath till we return after a quick word from our sponsors. When you want a refreshing software experience with no calories, no sugar, and no preservatives, try Point of Rental Software. (sighs) It's good for your business, and it always leaves a great taste in your mouth. Point of Rental in your 20s after moving around from Montana and California and all that, you join the Army. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm sure lots of people ask for war stories, um, but I'm interested in the funny stories from your deployment. Uh, Do you have any that you can share? Oh, yeah. Well, when I was in the Army, my official job, they called us, was a human intelligence collector, which was a fancy way of just saying you're an interrogator, basically. You have to talk to people and collect and get information. But, and it wasn't always like prisoners and stuff. We had willing informants Mm -hmm. most of the time. And we had this person who literally did risk their life to get get us information that was very helpful. So we, we worked with translators all the time because, you know, most Mm -hmm. of us didn't know Arabic. So we had, we had this situation. It was a long operation, but we really wanted this informant to know how thankful we were. So, my sergeant, he goes through this full five-minute speech like, look, you're a great example of an extremely brave Iraqi. We're, we're here to help your country. You're like just accolades and accolades of praise and stuff like that. And once he finishes, 
you know, he turns to the translator, okay, translate this five-minute speech I just did. Hmm. Translator goes, Kulizeng. And that's <laughs> it, which literally means just God bless you and thanks. Wow. So <laughs> everyone, even our informant, just turns and looks at our translator and he's like, what? I'm tired. I, <laughs> so, Jeez. So, so, I mean, it is, it is just everybody just died laughing after that because we're like, okay, yeah, we're done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's been a long day. Yeah. Like, let's yeah. just get this conversation yeah. through and, and get to the point. Dang, wow. So what is what does it look like to become an intelligence uh, grabber, developer, interrogator that you were? The the difference between like real life and a Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Hollywood makes it seem like you got to be extremely aggressive mm, right. and mean upfront, um, and anything goes. But in the reality, it's you got to you got to be someone who listens to and nitpicks every little detail of what mm. how someone answers a question and knowing basic uh interrogatives which is like who what when where why how okay or how or how else so mm. getting just, every detail of whatever their yeah, story they're telling yeah so and it's most of the time you you got to know english actually very well too because hmm. A lot big problem we usually have with new people when we were training them up was someone would mention a car or a location, but they would completely forget to completely vet it out because just because a person didn't think to identify the noun in this sentence, he just translated and oh. tried to fully vet it out, get details. What's the color? What's the location? Right. You know, just basic stuff that would be helpful. And that's something I always... Um, try to apply here as well whenever customers are trying to explain the situation they may mention something i'm like well what is this can you describe that more to Mm. me and like what do you mean by that or which most i say over half of the human population could conceivably be called a human intelligence collector because that's what Mm. we do we collect information from each other like we're doing right now with questions and then trying to make it something useful you know something that could either build a relationship, sell a product, whatever. I mean, it's the only difference between an intelligence collector and an everyday human being is an intelligence collector is trying to answer questions for a military commander or an intelligence agency. That's right. the only difference, but it's the same basic kind of human skills and interactions that you have every day. Okay. So. So it's less like the Hollywood ideal of like you standing like in a closed dark room with like one light shining in their eyes, like... Give me the answers. Yeah, I mean, I many times I debrief people. We were in a cafe just talking. Hmm. Just like a regular conversation. It's just I would lead it into an important question eventually. So having rapport, building trust, things like that. Hmm. That's the most effective way to be able to get people to open up. Because you learn um, people naturally want to be social. They want to interact with you. Hmm. They want to tell you things. It's just a matter of presenting yourself in such a way that it's non-threatening, puts them at ease, Mm -hmm. and makes them want to have, we used to say, verbal diarrhea, where they just give you tons and tons of words (laughs) that you can break down. Yeah. So. Okay. Yeah. So you really have to sequence your questions to like build that trust with whoever you're talking with in order to get a good response and and be able to get the answers that you're looking for. for Yeah. Probably the most popular 
technique we used a lot was actually from cops. Uh, we called it the, the Reed technique, and it was actually developed in Chicago in the 30s. And what the Reed technique was is you phrase and ask questions in such a way that it lowers someone's culpability or guilt. Basically, no one is going to straight up admit to the murder, mm-hmm. but let's say you forgot to close the door, didn't you? And then once someone admits that, they're like, yeah, you're right. I, it was me who forgot to close the door, which even though it doesn't make them admit to the murder, mm-hmm. it puts them at the scene of the crime. Right. Kind of thing. Oh. Admitting that kind of guilt. So, and the thing is, once people admit to little things, mm-hmm. then eventually that will lead up to something bigger. Interesting. So it's, I mean, there's a lot more in depth, but I admit a lot of stuff I can't talk about. But right, a lot right. of, a lot of these things, I mean, people can definitely see it in movies. You know, Google it. Mm-hmm. But what makes it really effective is just experience, experience, and being mm-hmm. consistent with how you question. That's fantastic. Um, and now a quick break from our sponsors. Want to help us change the world? Point the Way is Point of Rentals' employee-led community giving program. We provide volunteer opportunities as a team to help improve our communities throughout the world. If you're a pointer, you can find out more about how we're helping this quarter, suggest ideas for the future, and connect with us on our internal Point the Way workplace page. If you're not, you can still see what we're doing by following us on social media. We're in the business of making better lives. So what did that transition look like from, from Army to, to Point of Rental? Well, I uh, was working on a business degree initially okay. uh, when, when I moved up here uh, to Dallas-Fort Worth area. And I, I definitely needed a job because even though I had the GI Bill, just to uh, make some extra money, make ends meet, I, I definitely needed work. And I actually ended up getting hired by Enterprise Truck Rental. So I use, I did commercial truck rentals for almost four years, you know, mm-hmm. working in the DFW area. So I'm very familiar with heavy duty equipment rentals, car rental, and stuff. So that's mainly what got me into the rental industry. And then I, I definitely wanted to change because I felt like I was growing only so far in the company, and managerial positions were getting taken up left and right by a lot of other people. So mm-hmm. I ended up getting a phone call actually from Point of Rental and they invited me over to the offices and told me to be working in software support and you know and I, I'm, I'm used to dealing with customers I mean I don't care if you're difficult or easygoing or whatever I mean I, I'm all about service you mm-hmm. know being able to provide a good product and service so it just it it felt like a great fit for me it wasn't that far away from where I live and that's eventually what led me into point of rental i had zero experience with the software when i first got here and but all the people here have been very helpful training me up getting me used to things and i actually had a customer comment the other day like uh, like how long have you worked here i'm like about two years she's like well for someone who's worked there for two years you actually sound like you really know what you're doing Mm -hmm. i'm like okay thank you i mean but yeah we have a lot of really good knowledgeable experienced people here and that's mm. it's it's been a really good experience overall for me and trans- transitioning here all the way from the army i this is pretty amazing yeah so what what are the first few months like in support with that transition well first few months when 
when I was in, we went through a very thorough kind of like questionnaire, getting used to what the customers are going to ask of you, what they're going to expect out of the software. And Mm -hmm. it was, it was pretty rough, I admit, because like I said, I had zero experience with the software when I initially signed on. But uh, once I got used to taking the calls, knowing what to ask for, how to fully vet out the information, it, it it's you'll feel overwhelmed. You'll feel yeah, like certainly. you're not going to be able to, to do it. But as long as you stick to it, and at, most important thing, ask questions when mm-hmm. you need help. You know, it, the software is always changing. So there's never going to be a point where you don't where you don't learn something new. And that's mm-hmm. one thing I do like about working here too is I always feel like I'm growing and expanding my knowledge, not just mm-hmm. of this software, but just, you know, just the industry in general. Um, what skill do you find more valuable, creativity or logic? Hands down, I would have to say creativity because hmm. logic can get you to the answer, but you need to be creative whenever you try to apply the solution. That's why I think creativity is so important, especially when you're trying to help someone out to learn how to use the software. Right. Everyone learns things differently. Mm-hmm. So you, you, you got to be creative. You got to be willing to find unconventional solutions, even though it's straightforward. A plus B equals C, mm-hmm. just getting people to understand that and consistently come to the same conclusion. I mean, that's. Mm-hmm. That's where creativity definitely comes into play. Yeah, so. that's a barrier I, I wouldn't even think about that you have in communication. But yeah, there are different learning styles and styles of communication that you really have to account for that we don't really talk about necessarily in our trainings every day. Or at least my understanding. Y'all have much right. training on yeah. that? Yeah, I mean, we we do have go over like example scenarios of what customers would ask and how they would ask it. Because, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes people use different terminologies for things Probably the most obvious one is since we're now working with companies in the UK and Australia, you know, they use the term hire versus rental, right? Mm-hmm. you know, and so just being able to know how to translate that. And also each person has their own separate industries, whether you're party and event rental, equipment rental, just to know how to convert that and translate that into something that the software can consistently always work with. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you really have to think on your feet and then just kind of know. Who you're dealing yeah. with and a lot of it's yeah yeah a lot of it is experience but at the same time um yeah you you do i mean you do need logic you can't have one without the other right. but to me creativity is the most important because you know you got to be flexible and willing to work with where someone's coming from whenever i walk by your desk if i'm just like going to the bathroom or whatever it may be i often see hints that you may be involved in D. Um, for those of you who are listening, that means Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, um, when did you get involved in that? And, and do you play it here? What does that look like? So I've, the, the best thing that I think ever happened to me when I was a kid is, um, I asked questions a lot about different shows I'd be watching, whether it was like fantasy or sci-fi. Mm-hmm. And my dad matter of factly told me, what do you care? Make up your own. And ever since then, I would slowly got into the world of doing like a role playing games or RPGs like Dungeons and Dragons and stuff, because it's where the players get to become heroes and they essentially make up and write their own story as they Mm -hmm. play through the game. So that's I've always been 
fascinated by stories. I, I love storytelling. Um, part of that is, you know, my upbringing, not just, you know, from my dad, but my mom too, because um, I'm Native American on my mother's side. So like, you know, mm-hmm. storytelling, sharing common myths and legends from the tribe, you know, amongst the youngsters, that's always been something instilled in me that, that kind of translates into the hobby. I, I love, I love, I love fantasy. I love mm-hmm. having that little escape, but at, at the same time, it's grounded in the reality of you, you get to socialize with a good group of friends and actually here I, I play with coworkers yeah. and stuff too. So yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun and it, you know, also does help build up camaraderie as well. Very, very important, serious question. Um, you're on a desert island with three friends. Um, what board game or strategy, ja- strategy game or RPG are you playing? And you only have one. I, I would have to say it would just be Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. Because <laughs> if, if I brought Monopoly, we would all be at oh, each other's yeah, throats no, that's at the not end. Good. <laughs> um, Definitely out of all those games, yeah, because, you know, D&D is always a collaborative effort. You're supporting each other. You're helping each other out to complete the adventure. If I had backgammon, I would be bored way too quickly. (laughs) And you can only do so many card games. So, yeah, because me, like I said before, creativity and imagination is Mm -hmm. important. And there's, if you push yourself, there's really no limit to it. You can always find something else to do. So for people like me who have had like less than 0% exposure to D&D, can you give like a basic overview of what that is and how the creativity is involved in that? Well, I think everyone at some point has either played cowboys or Indian mm-hmm. cowboys and Indians or cops and robbers when right, they were right. kids. So basically it's it's the same thing except you have dice and paper and rules. So as long as you're willing to put yourself out there and imagine yourself as something you wouldn't normally be, whether mm-hmm. it's uh, a fierce barbarian, uh, a wizard or an elf that can shoot arrows around corners and stuff like that. I mean, it's, it's just a matter of being willing to put yourself out there, which I mean, I would even say it's the same thing. Even if you were to play sports or something like that, you just got to be willing to put yourself in there and take, take control of your position, what you're doing, you know, so it's as long as you understand and know what your place is in the game, what your motivation is as a character, right? You can you know flesh that out, fill out. Yeah, that's a really good analogy. Five important questions. Five important, Five important questions. questions. Five important questions. So, Ryland, what would you say is your greatest success in your life? Uh, hands down, my kid. I have a four-year-old son, so he's he's definitely my biggest uh, success story. I love seeing him grow and learning new things. I mean, and I know it's many more years ahead. I got to struggle and go through, and not looking forward to the pain of him becoming a teenager. Oh. But <laughs> at the same time, I mean, regardless of what he does, I mean, I'll, that that definitely compared to everything else I've done in my life whether it was military or mm-hmm. college or whatever i i that that's definitely the number one success Fantastic. story in my life yeah can i ask what his name is luke luke michael morjo and yes he is named after luke skywalker <laughs> if you were wondering <laughs> i love that oh that's amazing 
Um, okay. Second question for you. Okay. If you could tell first day at Pointer Rental Ryland one piece of advice to be successful as a pointer, what would it be? Learn accounting. Ooh. That's the number one thing I would have given advice to myself. I'm a lot more familiar with it now. Like I had really good basic business math kind of skills and stuff. I could do interest, depreciation, but just knowing the ins and outs of balancing a ledger and things like that, just thoroughly know that like the back of your hand Hmm. that to me would have made my life so much easier when I was first starting out here. Because being a software support tech, you're not just a Mm. software expert. You got to at least have familiarity with accounting, inventory management, uh, data entry, reconciling data errors, things like that. You you definitely got to have to have a Swiss Army knife, Hmm. you know, of skills, basically, to be able to tackle a situation. But hands down for myself, I would have focused on learning more thoroughly accounting more. Right. Because you you mean when someone calls in, you have no idea what they're going to call in with. Right. They'll call in with anything and everything to do with their business and just say, help SOS. I need someone to tell me what to do. Yeah, exactly. You can't always go to person in each department. So that's a really good piece of advice. Now, I know when I've done interviews before, um, I know that I often feel insecure that I've been putting on airs, you know, so I thought it'd be nice to give you an opportunity to bring you back down to earth. Okay. Um, by telling of your most embarrassing moment as a pointer. So the most embarrassing thing I ever experienced as a software support tech is uh, my, at the time, uh, it was a, Joe White. He's one of our senior support staff. And mm-hmm. he was like, oh, call this customer. He just needs to do a parts database import. I'm like, oh, okay. Looks straightforward. I just follow the instructions. Over a couple of hours went by trying to get this parts database to import. No matter what we did, it just kept failing, failing, failing. I'm like, what am I doing wrong? Right. And it, it boiled down to a uh, customer just straight up telling me, you have no idea what the heck you're doing. Do you? oh, I'm like, yeah, let me. I mean, eventually I got somebody to help reconcile it and get it imported and everything, but I just I felt horrible. I'm like, should I even still keep working here? It's just because it was just such a bad, horrible phone call because I'm like, yeah, I, something that should have been quick, easy, and simple, it just took forever. Yeah. And and part of it, I mean, even Joe was telling me, I mean, his spreadsheet was not the way it should have been, but right. still, it should have been a quick and easy fix. Um, but the hilarious thing is the same guy calls a year later, mm-hmm. same thing help them with the parts database import and it goes by smoothly. I'm like, yep, I know what to do. I learned from my mistake. I'm not going to embarrass myself again. Mm-hmm. And the customer makes a comment like, man, you're a lot better than the guy from last oh, year. No. <laughs> and it, it was, it was me. It was, it was, he, he, I was the guy he was talking about. Oh, I'm like, gosh. you're absolutely right. I'm yeah. That guy did not know what he was doing. He was right. I, I didn't. Okay. So let's say that it's now illegal um, to just have a bad phone call okay. in support. Um, and one of the Homeland guys was actually like tapped into your phone and like listened to it and was like, all right, this Ryland guy really messed up that call. Um, okay. And now after this long series of events, you're on death row. Sorry, it's unfortunate, but here we are. Um, 
Now you have to choose your last meal. What would it be? Uh, pretty much anything cooked by Gordon Ramsay. <laughs> I mean, if I mean that he's like I, I'm. Uh, I guess a secret of mine is I'm on YouTube. Probably most of my favorite feeds are just things Gordon Ramsay is cooking, or or Marco Pierre. Bas- basically. Any kind of like Michelin star chef, mm-hmm. whatever meal they would prepare for me, I know would be amazing. So that, that's <laughs> that would be my last meal. I'd, I'm like, you, you call Gordon right now and have him cook me anything. Wow. So, I wonder if he's gotten that request before. May, I don't know. That would be insane. Be cool. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, okay. If you could change one thing about yourself, what would it be? I think the number one thing I would probably change about myself is to be more I would actually say um, decisive when I'm certain about an answer hmm. I think to for myself too often I'm in it and we just went over this whole thing being willing to ask for help and then get support and stuff like but right, sometimes right. you know you, you got to be really direct and decisive about certain decisions just because you know there's some things you shouldn't waste a lot of time on. Mm-hmm. And, and I admit, I, I'd love to analyze something, go way overboard, find the perfect solution, things like that. But sometimes you just you just got to make a choice and commit to it. Tell me something that's true that almost nobody agrees with you on. My all-time favorite food is actually uh, calamari steak. And I stand by that. Like you can make a steak out of like the head of, squid basically it's calamari steak interesting and it's actually one of the juiciest and most tenderest things that you can eat but no one believes me everyone thinks it's like this super rubbery horrible food but yes (laughs) i actually i went to this one italian restaurant they prepared it in such a way i'm like this is absolutely delicious and i can't believe it's calamari so it's it's just italian food though yeah it's like uh i don't i don't know if it's a real italian food i just know it was called calamari steak but it's like, I, I think hands down, it is the best hmm. steak you can have. It's somehow, some way they prepared it, but no one believes me because <laughs> stereotypically calamari is just a bunch of tentacles fried right. up. And it, but they breaded it and prepared it in such a way it was like this soft, delicate, de- delicious thing. I don't, I don't know how they did, but hmm. okay, I I don't know where you would get that in Grand Prairie or Fort Worth. But, um, <laughs> well, I, I got it in California at the time, so uh, maybe it could okay. be a California thing. I don't know. Interesting. Californians <laughs> can do many interesting things. Maybe Gordon Ramsay can make you that there you go. in your final meal before <laughs> death row. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Who is the next pointer that I should talk to for this podcast? I would say in uh, development, mm-hmm. a guy I always find very interesting is uh, uh, Albert. Works works on our development team. He's he's fairly new here. He's uh, I think just been here a year less than me. But mm-hmm. you know he works with um, our essentials development team. But he's a he's a fascinating guy. I I, I love talking to him. He's he may seem a little uh, introverted, but he's he, he's actually a very very nice guy to talk to. Okay, I like finding little gemstones hidden here at at Pointer Vernal and, and um, just getting to know people better. Um, yeah, well, thank you, Rylan, for chatting today. It has been a pleasure talking to you and getting to know more about you and your life. Um, I hope we get to talk more. Yeah, no, no, I, I love it. Thank you. (laughs) Take care.
And to you pointers listening, send him some love this week. Stop by his desk. Give him a high five. Um, send him a photo of your favorite Dungeons and Dragons player or um, I don't even know if they have players. Is that a thing? Uh, class. Like oh. a character class. Or, uh, okay. or archetype. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> send him a good Dungeons and Dragons meme uh, <laughs> for him to respond to. Um, and just let him know that you care. Um, I hope this podcast encourages you to reach out to your fellow pointers around you. Get to know them, go to lunch with them, share your stories. Um, you never know what you may learn. So thanks for listening today. We'll keep the porch light burning for you. Like you can make a steak out of like the head of a squid.